Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Teddy Teapot with Teddy Mellencamp. Hi, guys. This is Teddy Mellencamp, and I am joined today by my friends, Tanya Rad and Cheryl Burke. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's been a wild year and a half, and we still have tons of questions regarding mental health, general health, COVID, etc. So today we've lined up an amazing panel from Providence Healthcare Experts to answer all of our questions. So ladies, thank you guys so much for being here. How are y'all doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, good. I'm glad that we're doing this because I think that, you know, especially for me, I'm really open and vocal about being a woman and all the health concerns that I do have. And I feel like, you know, we get a lot of fear because we don't know. So I feel like knowledge is power. And that's exactly what we want to do today. So Providence Mm -hmm. caregivers, they really are different and they take the time to see patients for who they are as individuals by really getting to know them and partnering with them to help them live the life that they deserve. And so today we're going to talk to three doctors from Providence about some important women's health topics, ranging everything that, you know, Teddy, Cheryl, you guys talk about ranging from mental wellness, annual health screenings, motherhood, healthy lifestyles. It's a lot to cover. Yeah. Um, and Providence, <laughs> they have a mission for serving the poor and vulnerable, and they are committed to ensuring equitable and affordable access to health services for all people, which is very, very important. And they also invest billions of dollars <laughs> to help build healthy communities across the Western United States. So. Uh, Really, really excited to be partnering with them and Providence caregivers pride themselves on clinical excellence and compassionate relationships. So love it. Yeah. Like I said, we are going to be joined. I want to bring in two of the doctors um, with us right now. So we have Dr. Robin Henderson. She is the chief executive behavioral health at Providence. And then we have Dr. Wando Anyoku. She is the chief health equity officer, Swedish. Swedish is an affiliate of Providence serving patients in the greater Seattle area. Well, we're going to start today talking about mental health and COVID. And then later on in this podcast, we will have another doctor, Dr. Nishio, on to talk about women's general health. So welcome, ladies. So we want to kind of want to talk to you a, a little bit, open up about why Providence is unique and, and makes it special. 
I will start with what our mission is really, which is health for good, and sort of grounds us in the way that we deliver care everywhere. As you mentioned, and I appreciate your calling out, we're proud of our clinical excellence, but we're also proud of our compassion and reflecting the love of God and the way that we care for people, we see people uh, focused on equity. Um, we have a statement as an organization that is invested in you know, equitably delivering care to everyone, particularly focusing on the poor and vulnerable. And people are marginalized and don't receive the same level of care for various reasons. A lot of them are historical and structural um, barriers that have been put in place that then show up in different people's ways of life. And so we as an organization have really called out a specific focus to be intentional about making sure that our care is equitably delivered to everyone who needs us. I would just add in there that I think that Providence in their mission to serve the poor and the vulnerable has embraced those who have mental health challenges. I mean, let's face it, everybody's got a mental health challenge at some point. When 20% of our population is dealing with mental illness at any given time, it's gonna touch every one of us. And I'm so proud that Providence has chosen to really embed mental health in everything that they do, whether it's primary care, specialty care, the acute care hospitals, wherever it is that we go, there's no wrong door for care. And that really speaks to that commitment that mental health is part of physical health and is part of our overall wellness. I couldn't agree more, actually, because I mean, without your mental health, what do you, what do you have really, right? Yeah. I think a lot of people have just not been able to communicate it because there's been this stigma around mental health in general. Um, and I think this is where we start, right? We start at, with having these uncomfortable conversations that hopefully will soon not be so uncomfortable. Exactly. We have to normalize all of the help-seeking behaviors again around getting help for mental health. We have to make it perfectly normal and not embarrassing to talk about the challenges we all face, especially as women. Yes. Especially now. The other thing we do is make it easy, right? Because if yeah. you've tried to access mental health in the real world or the rest of the world, it's 500 phone calls trying to figure mm -hmm. out who can serve you. And, and our embedding it in all our doors really makes it easy. So you come to see your primary care pediatrician, you need mental health. I have a partner that I can hand you off to right there. So Absolutely. that you don't have to go back home and start navigating the system. So easing the way of our patients and families is really important to how we deliver care at Providence. I, that's huge because I know when I first started, you know, doing any sort of therapy, it was a real struggle for me because part of my anxiety is I despise filling out forms and having, wow. <laughs> it's very bizarre, but like I'll, I'll overthink it forever and it's kind totally. of ACG and I'm like, I don't want to have to fill out that form. And then I have to go to this doctor and this doctor. So having it all in one place, that is, such a game changer because a lot of the time what holds me back from taking care of myself is like those little things that don't seem like a big deal to a lot of people but it's really anxiety driven for me i hear you girl i mean <laughs> that's the thing it's like having to retell your story i've been with the same therapist for over a decade um i couldn't even imagine having to retell it all so it helps to have everybody all under one roof i think that's so that's so great that you guys do that and provide that yeah. And do you, excuse me, do you feel like you guys have noticed a difference <clears throat> with um, with COVID? Because I honestly, I've never, I just started going to therapy within the last eight months. Um, it wasn't something that I ever really thought of. You know, I go to church and I always just kind of use churches like mm -hmm. therapy for me. And um, it's had a totally different, it's had such a huge impact on my life. But it's something that I never really considered until the pandemic. Do you feel like that's been, have you seen like an increase in that? Incredibly. The wait yeah. lists, even when we're looking in primary care, this is one of the frustrations that we have is that more and more, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. More and more people are aware that their mental health issues are challenged mm -hmm. and more and more people are seeking therapy than ever. And I think a lot of that has to do with influencers like you all talking very openly about your own mental health issues makes it safe for other people to talk about them. And that's one of the big factors that I think we've seen in the increase in people seeking mental health uh, information, therapy, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the other big factor is COVID faced, you know, created this challenge for all of us where we had to start looking inward and you could only really look at the people in your circle that were immediately there who were reflecting back to you. And after a while, we kind of all start to get a little bit deep and we yeah. all start to really start to surface things. And where does that go? 
And what was really stunning to me was to see the incredible rise of especially women, but men too, facing body image issues. <laughs> We've seen a huge, huge influx of people with eating disorders and body image issues presenting for therapy for the first time. Yeah. And, and that's a lot in this COVID space. I can totally relate to that. I mean, just in the business and industry in general and being a competitive ballroom dancer since I was what, 12, I mean, I, it's always been a body image type issue for me. And I think it's something that, you know, there is no cure for that other than your own mental health, right? And being able to talk about it and share your story and hopefully be able to relate to other people so you don't feel like you're alone. And I think that's very important as well. Yeah. Well, it has done something else to our children. Yeah. Um, the impact on children this past year and a half is, I think we're going to be seeing it for a very long time. But really? anxiety levels were so high. They were, because the world just sort of shut down, right? And so they, they couldn't go out. You know, as, as moms, we're freaking out about trying to homeschool four and five-year-olds. But those four and five-year-olds need socialization for their development, right? Mm -hmm. The 13-year-olds, the 18-year-olds who are at the stage in their life where they're imagining their future, where they're building out their future path, and all of a sudden, all the doors were closed. And it was mm -hmm. so intense for children this past year. We saw a massive increase in, in referrals and asks for support around mental health for kids. In the hospital side, we saw a 33% increase from January wow. 2020. January 2021, in children who were looking for admission for depression, for suicidal ideation, really, really rough year for our kids wow. um, who haven't been to school, who you're trying to keep them safe in this bubble. But part of being a child is just the learning, right? And so for moms in particular, parents who are struggling to figure out how do I make the best environment for my child? How do I make the best decisions for them? And how do I set them up for the future? Where do I get support for them? That's been a really big part of our focus in, in helping our patients and, and families to navigate this past really unprecedented, hopefully once in a lifetime experience that we've had this past year and a half. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'm not a mother, but I can only imagine after that and then also after having to take care of your own mental health, it can be very overwhelming. Indeed. I'm sure, Teddy, you yeah, can talk I, I on think, this. I think the biggest thing for me is what I wasn't doing at the beginning was I wasn't sharing how I was feeling with my kids. And then they thought I was like mad at them if I was having like a high anxiety day or if I was like, I have OCD as well. So like I would be, you know, counting and doing my thing, you know, like my, mm -hmm. my lists, all of my things. <laughs> but I'm with now, you. And now I've started, you know, sharing with them how I'm feeling and I'm doing, a, you know, then they realize like, oh, moms, this is just about something that's going on with mom. This has nothing to do with me. So being vulnerable has really been a key. But like my question comes like when it comes to first off, like, do we think that because I have anxiety and OCD, my kids are more prone to have it as well? Because my son has been struggling with anxiety and, you know, especially now that the pandemic came, even we were supposed to go visit my family. And my son was like, I cannot be in an airplane with people. Are you right? Mom? right. Mm -hmm. like, I absolutely cannot. Never mind. We can't go. I'm not going. Not interested. If you know, like, and the, he never had these types of fears. And so now it's hard for me to understand as a mom, like what's like norm, not normal, but what's regular fear versus his anxiety and how do I help him? You know, I think that goes to the nature and nurture question of what is it that I'm modeling for him that he's picking up and what is it that's already embedded and ingrained in his genes? And the reality is when you're looking at anxiety, there's a lot that can be picked up from the environment around. And that's why I love the fact that you talk about being vulnerable and talking about your own anxiety and talking about the things that are you that are not of them. So that helps them not model and imitate and create your behavior. Now, that said, when you're talking about the fear of getting on an airplane, turn on the television news at any given point. And what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the transmission of COVID. We're going to talk yeah. about all of these hotspots. Where is it that we're going? Our kids are listening to all of this, processing that information through their filters and coming out with, are you kidding me? I do not want to get on that airplane. Yeah. No. So I don't blame them. them. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> them either. It's a very much of a you're asking them to take an abstract concept and make it concrete. I mean, it's like, Hey mom, last week you told me to wear a mask and this week suddenly I don't right. have to anymore. Yeah, it's, right. I was going to ask that question. The mind games, totally. like even with camp, like last week there's no mask. Now they need a mask. Like 
in regards to those changes, how do you talk them through it? But also what effect are the masks doing on them? Not being able to show their emotions to their friends, not being able to right. eat lunch together. You know, they're separated by six feet. And, you know, I, I tried keeping them home from camp for a week and they were much more unhappy not being out with those things. Right. And I'm like, maybe they don't care about the masks, you know, but what do you think it's actually doing and how do we help it so it doesn't, you know, become a recurring thing when this finally goes away? Well, I think the first problem is how do we deal with the information yeah. about you? Right? Yeah. So this was, this was the first time and we were learning as we went along, right? So it started out, we kind of knew this and then we knew the next thing. And so we've had to evolve our recommendations and our practices as we've learned more about this virus. And what we do know is that masking helps to reduce transmission, right? And so one of the things that came out this week of which there's been a lot of discussions is that the American Academy of Pediatrics is asking that children over to continue to be masked when they go back to school mm -hmm. in the fall. And oh, wow. part of that is, is sort of part of a layered approach to try to get kids back to as close to normal as possible yeah. while trying to keep them safe, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So right now we don't have enough, you know, we don't have vaccines approved for the younger ages, right? So how do you know who's been vaccinated and who's not? And all of that is just unknowable. And so mm -hmm. even those who are vaccinated are not 100% protected, for the most part they are, but they can still transmit maybe, and children who cannot be vaccinated, you have no way of verifying that. So the Academy of Pediatrics says, you know what, we've seen what this past year and a half has done to children. Let's get them back to as close to normal as possible. And part of that is, you know, keeping hand hygiene, keeping distancing, those things that we absolutely mm -hmm. know. So I'm a pediatrician, snot is kind of my, my jam. And yeah. when kids are not interacting and rolling around <laughs> in toys, they're not sharing snot, so they're not getting right. a cold. They're I thought you said people. snot, and then I was like, <laughs> did she just, she just said snot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Right. She so, was right. You, um, that's hysterical. Do you find that uh, with the pandemic that kids have been starting to develop, I mean, I suffer from social anxiety. So mm -hmm. do you find that because they've been so sheltered the past year and a half that maybe they are starting to develop signs of social anxiety? I think they are anxious just like the rest of us, right? Totally. Everybody and, and everything that we deal with as adults, we can sort of process, at least we could sort of process before 2020. Honestly, I have to confess that we've had to do a little bit more work just to process our own yeah. life this year. Yeah. And so for children who all of this is a learning journey, they've really had to, to figure out, you know, to your point earlier, is this mom? Is this me? Did I do something bad? Is that why I can't have a play date? Is that why these friends can't come over? Was it something right. I did? And really being able to have those conversations with your children, but as with ourselves and with each other as grown-ups, has been the way to sort of navigate this process because it's so new, so unknown, and so <laughs> almost unknowable, right? So right. I, I kind of don't dwell too much on whether they inherited it from me or whether it's their own mm -hmm. because there's just right. so much we have to deal with it and we all have to get to the other side of this thing as, as quickly Together. as quickly yeah. as yeah. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. 
Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, it's Ashley Iconetti. And it's Benjamin Higgins. And you guys may know us from the Almost Famous podcast where we recap the Bachelor franchise. And wow, do we have a Bachelorette finale to recap for you this week. And we've got the one and only runner-up, Justin Glaze, giving us all the tea from what he thinks about Greg's exit to... Blake and Katie being together now. What a dramatic episode. Well, hey, make sure you tune in. Listen to our podcast, Almost Famous, right now on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Doctor, this is probably more for uh, Dr. Inyoku um, because I, I kind of want to know what's like the number one most common question that new moms are asking you right now, and what's your advice to what they're asking? Everybody's, top of everybody's mind is COVID. Right, can, can grandma come and stay, right? If my parents are vaccinated or not vaccinated, can I go to a mom's group? Can I have a doula, right? To, you know, can I get support? Who can I have around my baby? That's really the big concern. And, and for me, that's been a really heavy burden on my heart because for anyone who's ever had a new baby, those first few months are just yeah. challenging. Even if you've had five before, each child comes with their own manual, which is not the same as the last four children. And so you're trying to figure out how do you engage with this child? How are you getting any rest, sleep? How are you doing breastfeeding? How are you doing formula feeding? How are you navigating this new space? Not to mention your hormones are all over the place. And what helps that for the most part is having support, having you know a mom, an aunt, a sister, a doula, um, you know a neighborhood church, some people who can come around you and support you. In the in the uh, world of um, COVID. You don't have those supports as much. So so new parents are navigating this space by themselves, right? And and so I get calls and texts from my patients all the time. Is this okay? And so what are the big questions? They ask about poop, they ask about sleep, about for the baby and for themselves, right? Baby's not sleeping, I'm not sleeping, what am I doing wrong? Is there something I can do differently? Those are the big issues, right? But 
But the fundamental behind it is how do I get support? How do I get somebody who can answer my questions and hold my hand in this space? Um, and, and tell me what to do with the older kid who's not only anxious, but is also now jealous, right, of this new baby. <laughs> yeah. how, do I, how do I deal with it? So I kind of put all of those things into the same bucket of who is supporting you? Who do you have in your corner who's holding your hand through this process? Because it's a really challenging process on a good time, and it's particularly challenging today. And how do you find support? Like, what do you recommend as far as, other than your close-knit circle? I, I encourage people to have a close-knit circle to the extent they can. But, you know, mm -hmm. in today's world, a lot of women are working far away from where their parents live, right? Or where their friends right, are. Right. So if, you're, if you're in Chicago and your mom is in Iowa, what do you do, right? So have you been there long enough to build, develop a network? And do you know that your network is vaccinated and safe? Um, yeah. So one of the things that we have at Swedish is a doula program where people can engage a doula to support them through the birth, but also we have postpartum doulas who can help them after the baby's born. And you know, if you if you are in a space where everybody's vaccinated and you feel comfortable, they can come to your house, but you can also access those services virtually, right? So you can call up your doula virtually and, and do a televisit um, through our, our program. And there, there are PEPS groups or NPS groups, you know, parent, mommy groups in different communities, which most of them have now become virtual. It's so amazing how adaptive we've been able to be yes. uh, to learn that we can do the things that we had to do in a different way. And so a lot of resources are now virtual. And so in your community, you can find different um, resources that can, can support you in that time. Your pediatrician is a great resource who can connect you to those um, spaces. In Providence, we really um, do our best to keep the lines open for our families. We have an app that you know folks can check in, they send yeah. me messages. I come to my office on Monday morning and I have loads of pictures of poop. And everybody wants to know <laughs> this color is normal or that color is the other. But, but the, the fundamental issue is how do I wrap my hands around you and support you in this time? I think right now, like the mom guilt also, I've realized like even just looking yeah. now that their Instagram and everybody's so vocal about their feelings about other people and the things that they're doing. I've noticed that something I've realized, I have a baby and it's completely different than with my older kids. We have four kids because they used to do everything with me. And now it's like, if I'm going to go grab lunch, it's safer for her at home. So why? But the other day, my husband and I were like talking about it. We're like, wow, I think Dove's only gone out to eat with us this many times because of this reason or whatever it may be. But at the point is like we post something or we share something and people's first reaction is to like come for you and tell you why you're a bad mom or why you're this or why you should do things differently. And I think, you know, I have, you know, because I've done it so many times, I at least have that confidence of like, I know I'm a good mom, but for first time mothers, when the first time you start and everybody gives you all the advice that you don't need because you have like mother's <laughs> instinct, but like, what do you recommend for new moms that have had a baby, like a pandemic baby, and they're just feeling lost and they don't even have the confidence to join that mommy group? Because I can tell you, I didn't with my first. I walked in the first one and I was like, no. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry to tell you that mom guilt doesn't go away, right? It, it goes on as long, as long as you're a mom. So when you're a new mom or when you, you first have teenagers or when your kids are ready to go to college, there's always somebody out there who's ready to tell you you're doing it wrong. And the, the antidote is to have that trusted relationship. I would have those conversations with my moms and I'm like, you know, a mom group is great if it's supportive. If you go in there, and everybody's telling you that their child just at six months read the valedictory address at Harvard. <laughs> Run. Do not walk. <laughs> just wow. Because all it will do, you logically know that it's probably not true, but your heart doesn't know what to do with that. You can think, right. oh, did I not read enough? Did I not sign him up? But yeah, yeah, it's just, so I always tell people to ask yourself and listen to your gut. Is this relationship supportive? If it's not supportive, exit stage left as quickly as you can. And identify who that is that can come alongside you, whether they're your best friends from, from childhood, whether it's your mom, your aunt, your sister, your church group, people you can talk to. You know, now all these apps are doing these bi-directional things where you can just do FaceTime with, with somebody and say, hey, I'm feeling this way. You know, does this, is this normal? How can I cope with that? Um, mm. But the key is to find that, that relationship that feels supportive. Don't feel you should be in a mom's group because everybody's in a mom's group. 
Because if that mom group is not supportive, you, it's much more damaging. And then you start yeah. worrying about postpartum depression, which is already a risk. Um, so I, I, I tell people to follow their instinct and what feels supportive. And those of you who are influencers and online all the time, I duff my hat to you because literally everybody yeah. is a cowboy on their It's hard, it's hard not to tons of opinions about everybody's life. And I'm like, oh. And comparison <laughs> is the devil, right? It's so hard yeah. not to compare. Thank you. No, and, and that's true regardless of, of whether you're dealing in the new mom zone or you're dealing in the teenager zone or any of these zones, if there's people around you who are not supporting you and celebrating you and being that solid, supported, trusted network that you need, you don't need them. You really exactly. don't. Yeah. And, you know, actually, this is actually a good question for you, Dr. Henderson, because I think that, you know, a lot of people want to prioritize their mental health, but I think sometimes, and I, and I fall victim of this, before the pandemic, I was just on like a hamster wheel. I was just go, go, go. I'm single. I don't have kids. Mm -hmm. And well, yeah, single technically, I guess. Um, no children. And Nick, you just, I, <laughs> as the, you know, what is it like? Um, I'm not, you don't need to know my, my dating <laughs> life. All good. <laughs> this isn't your therapy session. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go there if you want. <laughs> I mean, like single in the, like, in the like, yeah, in the like non-married box of life. And it's like, uh, everybody has their opinion of, you know, what you're doing, how you're doing it. Mm -hmm. But I was just kind of, it was like, I was just on this career path where I was just, I, I would literally just come home, sleep. And my, my place was just like a giant closet. I never prioritized my mental health until recently. So people who are kind of just like going, going, going and say they don't have time to take care of their mental health. What would you tell them? Like why they should make it a priority and exactly how much time do you think you really need to dedicate to that? You know, that's a really great question because self-care is something that we all neglect in ourselves, yeah. but it's a really simple thing to do. And you can totally wrap an entire guilt circle around this. I mean, you can you can set yourself up to where it's like, I'm not doing the perfect self-care. Really seriously, pick one thing, Right. one thing, whether it's I'm going to meditate for 15 minutes, I'm going to do the Calm app, I'm going to journal, I'm going to take a walk, whatever piece of self-care it is for you, pick one thing, do it for two weeks, two to three weeks. Just one thing, because when you go out there and you try to pick the entire menu of things of I'm going to go to the yoga class and I'm going to eat healthy and I'm going to, you know, take turn off my Bluetooth and all of my devices before I go to bed and da, 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 da. You're going to get overwhelmed and then you're going to feel like you failed. Yeah. Pick one thing, get yourself an accountability buddy and say, you know, hey, this is what I'm going to commit to 15 minutes of meditation three times a week. Will you join me or will you hold me accountable? And just do that and start there. Do you find that if like if you can't love yourself, how can you love others? You know, you have to take care of you first. Do you agree with that saying? Absolutely. Yeah. That's some oh, yeah. great advice. Thank you. No, and it's the airplane rule. Put your own air mask on first. Yes. My go-to self-care during the pandemic, not gonna lie, face masks. I think they're amazing. Yeah. You put a face mask on, you can't actually put a phone up to your ear. You can't do anything with the device. You're kind of stuck there and you have to relax and you got all this gooey stuff on your face or whatever, whatever brings you joy in the face mask <laughs> game. And that works really well for me. And I've had a lot of great uh, conversations with people about what their favorite face mask is. But the point is, it's an indulgence I do for me and it's me yeah. time. And what are the most common mental health issues you're seeing in adults right now? Anxiety and depression, bar none, anxiety and depression. And sometimes they present together, sometimes they present apart. They all have a variety of variants that go along with that. Sometimes people just have the blues. Sometimes mm -hmm. people get to the point of being seriously depressed. Um, you know, earlier uh, we were talking about children and the presentation of children to the ED with suicidal ideation. We've seen record numbers of kids presenting uh, with suicidal ideation who have had suicide attempts and things like that. Fortunately, people are getting them to the emergency department, getting them to pediatricians offices and getting care. So we're not seeing a spike in completions. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing is a lot of people really not knowing how to deal with that feeling of depression and being overwhelmed. Yeah. I, I think it's like, great. You know, it's this, sorry, oh, sorry. No, but it's like the Sunday scaries. Like the Sunday scaries are actually a thing. And I feel like, mm -hmm. why is it on Sundays that like people get this? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like this sense yeah. of just like anxiety or what, mm -hmm. uh, m something. 
Mine's Monday through Sunday, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> mine, well, mine never takes a vacation. Yeah, no, never. I wish it was just Sundays, put it that way. <laughs> well, think about all of the overwhelming stimulus we all get nowadays. You know, we get the 24-hour news cycle coming at us with, I, I have yet to figure out why is it that everything is breaking news? Right, right. That's anxiety provoking, right? Yeah. Every time you see breaking news up to the minute, yada, yada, yada. So that's overwhelming for, for people to begin with to process. Then you have social that's in your face all the time. And whether you're dealing with FOMO or all the other types of things you deal with in social, you've got all of those inputs. And we don't really give ourselves a break from all of these inputs to just go, you know what? I'm going to have no inputs for a little bit. I'm going to go for a walk and just have my, you know, music or whatever it is that I have. How often do you present. do that every day? I mean, I think that can cause anxiety though too, because people are now left with their own thoughts, right? And so it's like, yeah. maybe it could be, maybe it's the pandemic that really triggered it, but I think maybe it could have been because we're so busy constantly, right? In general, that we tend, I can speak for myself, I tend to numb my feelings and not want to feel mm -hmm. it and not feel my feelings instead just be numb through productivity or whatever my choice yeah. of, you know, poison is, I guess, for that moment, so. And are you guys seeing a difference between men and women or ages or races or any of those types of things? Like I know for me, the pandemic hit hard, but I had a lot of other things going on in my life. Like my daughter mm -hmm. had neurosurgery, all these things were happening. But honestly, it's like my husband hit the ground running, like nothing changed for him. He's like, that's fine. I'll just move my office from my office into this room. And now I'm great. And I'm crushing it. And like never once heard him vent about it, like talk about it, seem more anxious. But I was honestly like to the point where I was like, that's when I found the therapist. That's when I went on medication, like all of these things happen. So are you seeing a difference? You know, mental health really knows no bounds. It gets everybody. It's an equal opportunity uh, issue. I think what we are seeing is higher rates of women with addiction issues, especially uh, alcohol and things like that. We're seeing a lot more people. You speak of numbing a mm -hmm. lot more people who are using substances in order totally. to get to that numbing phase and, and to deal and cope with whatever form of stress and anxiety that they're feeling. But in terms of seeing, is it is it hitting at any given point? We have seen an increase in people presenting, but I think people presenting who are uh, people of uh, people of color, um, you know, whether it's Latinx, uh, Black, or Asian, we're seeing more and more people presenting. But I think that has more to do with education and acceptance as opposed to that prevalence wasn't there to begin with. Mm. Because I think it was there and it just culturally was not something that, that certain cultures engaged in help-seeking behaviors. But again, I put a lot of that back to influencers and people who look like me coming forward and saying, I've got issues with mental health. I'm, you know, this is how I've struggled. This is how I'm coping. I love mm -hmm. it when football players come forward and talk about their depression. You yeah. kidding me? I love that. That's amazing. Of so that's the role that I think we have in this in this space is to come forward and say, I struggle with mental health. Here's what I do about it. Here's where I've done well. And here's where I'm feeling. And you can, too. Yeah, absolutely. No one's alone. And if you're if you are somebody who's maybe not struggling, but you are wanting to be the best friend you can be or the best spouse or the best mother, what is a way to kind of open that conversation with the people around you so they feel comfortable sharing with you without over, you know, overstepping your boundaries? It 100% starts with sitting down, making time for someone and saying, hey, how are you? And listening to the answer. Mm -hmm. This isn't about That's being, key. I'm fine. Yep. Yeah. I think the listening is the key. I, I think honoring people's humanity and, and respecting them, because I think what we learned in this time is that a lot of us go into conversations because we want to say, not necessarily because we want yes. to hear. And, right. and it's really key in this challenging time to hear, just listen, especially just if you're talking to kids. You know, I have boys, and boys, you know, if you have girls, you're real lucky because they come back and this person said that. Boys are like, how are you doing? 
what did you do stuff <laughs> that is my son exactly and, and that's like, my, my husband exactly weird yeah <laughs> creature. so you have to seven. listen those opportunities to listen because all of a sudden the tap will open and they just want to talk and you have to be ready to just listen and 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 mirror back what you're hearing because sometimes we hear through our own filter but if you listen to to hear to i call it generous listening then you you say i'm hearing this from you am i getting that correctly you know so that person feels seen and heard mm -hmm. i want to speak about different populations right the way covid has hit different populations african americans native uh, native americans pacific islanders were three to six times more impacted by this pandemic than than our white populations and so there's a lot of grief that you we're going to, we're having to manage, and these are populations that were impacted not because they are biologically different, but because the socioeconomic status. Yeah, so a lot yeah. of times they are they are doing those frontline jobs which could not work from home, yeah. right? Which were engaging with people. They're the bus drivers. They're you know there are a lot of people who are out there, and so for a lot of our minority populations, they've been significantly impacted by this pandemic personally in the family unit. Right. And so there's a lot of grief that we also have to deal with, right? And, yeah. and trying to understand how do they go forward from here? How do they protect who's left? And how do they make different decisions for themselves and for their families? How do they decide about the vaccine? Because mm. those same populations also have challenges about access to vaccine, challenges about historical barriers to, you know, to trusting the healthcare system. So influencers and getting um, physicians and healthcare providers of color to say, this is my journey. This is how I thought about it, right? But I, I'm not going to call you cuckoo or crazy because you have questions, because this no. is me, yeah. and you're entitled to have questions. So yeah. I, I, I'm going to be open to have the discussion and answer the questions that you have so that I can get you to the point where you see my perspective as a public health practitioner about the importance of getting this vaccine for yourself and for your family. And I also will make the effort, as we did at Providence, where we, at Swedish, we launched a mobile vaccine initiative where we took the vaccine to the communities, right? Right, you went we in. Yeah, we went there so that they didn't have to take the day off work to come That's to so work, great. Right, an appointment. How do I make it easy for you to make the decision that I believe is the best one for you? So all of those things are stuff that we had to work through and continue to work through um, to deliver high quality equitable care to our communities. And so we could say, hey, here's a new vaccine. This is the recipe we can now use to get the, the, uh, the new virus, new recipe to get the vaccine. We could get to it faster than we would have had the ability to do in previous um, outbreaks, for which we are exceedingly thankful. But vaccines are never 100%. What they do get us to is a pretty significant rate of coverage and reduction of transmission and reduction in severe illness. Because COVID as a whole, the majority of people who get COVID don't die, which is the first problem, right? So people are like, well, some people, it's just like a cold. It's just like a cold for some people, but for a big chunk of people, they get very, very sick and they do die. And so having the vaccine reduces the likelihood that you're going to get very sick, end up in hospital, in ICU or dead. So right. there are people, you know, you see the news talking about people who are vaccinated getting COVID. That's true, but they don't have a severe illness as those who are not vaccinated. So but it's also a domino effect, right? Like if you get it, it's like, it's just, it can spread. I mean, you're yeah. doing it not just for yourself, you're doing it to protect for your, your community. community. Yes. I'll tell you that that argument has not worked with people so well. But that's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> About protecting the community. They're like, eh, I'm going like, to do Whatever, am I good? <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. It is right for you, right? Because if you make that call, you're likely to make yeah. that call for your household. And so the more that you can build the fence that protects those you love, that the net of those you love gets wider and wider and gets to encompass the majority of our community. And so I will take this opportunity to ask anybody who has not been vaccinated, please get vaccinated. It makes the world of difference. It really yeah. does. We at Providence saw the first COVID case in the entire country. Our healthcare system got the very first case. We stepped to it right away. We started doing all the intervention. So we've been at the forefront of this for the entire time. And I'm here to tell you, having lived through this past year, whatever you can do to get vaccinated, if you have questions, if you want to know whether you know you can take it with 
just ask. We are here, we are willing to discuss, yeah. to share whatever you need to be at peace. But anybody who has an opportunity, I am pleading with you through this platform, please get vaccinated so we could potentially get to the other side of this thing. Thank you Amen. both so yeah. much for your yeah. work. Thank Seriously. You guys. We need yeah. more people in the world like you guys. So yeah. thank you. Amen. Honestly, thank you, Dr. Robin Henderson, Dr. Wando Anyoku from Providence. Thank you guys thank so you. much for, for being here and chatting with us. We really, really appreciate you taking the time. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. Now, this is a show for the Nosabo kids, the, the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. If you ever felt like you were always too much this while also never being enough that, this is the podcast for you. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more via my own personal stories, along with interviews with inspiring thought leaders from our community. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community that you need to know. So much of what makes our community so beautiful is our diversity, yet too often those of us who don't fit into this dumb, stereotypical box of whatever it means to be Latino are left without a voice or just forgotten about. On this show, I celebrate the uniqueness of our culture Culture and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP. They held us in dog cages they starved us, they beat us, they burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. are going to get into some general I have a lot of questions coming up here but before I bring her in we have Dr. Angela Nishio she is the medical director for women's health services at Providence Dr. Nishio are you there hi hi Hi. how are you thanks for having me oh you are in it you are in (laughs) it girl (laughs) thanks for being here despite your busy schedule I'm sure yes I actually have a patient in labor right now Oh my wow. 
Do you need us to help deliver? Could you? Yeah. We can we can hold. We'll hold as long as we need. <laughs> well, how has the the I was gonna say the birthing I mean obviously I'm the one without a child here. Like how has Same, the birthing Yeah, how has the 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 process of actually giving birth been in the middle of this pandemic? Because obviously, you know, people can't be in there with you. Has that had a right. huge impact on women? Well, you know, babies don't know we're in a pandemic, so no. they keep coming, whether we want them to or not. Um, our hospital policy, when COVID first hit and we didn't know the transmission to babies or, or how dangerous it could be for babies, we really were very, very conservative. Everybody got tested. If a mom tested positive, we were actually separating the babies from the mothers, which was really heartbreaking. Oh. You know, you just give birth and your baby gets whisked away in an in a incubator before you have a chance to see the baby. Um, so that was very hard, uh, obviously. But as we started to know more about transmission and the effects, uh, you know, viral load in pregnant mothers and babies, and we realized that we didn't have to do that. So now we're not separating mothers. We are still having mothers wear N95 masks. Thankfully, as people, more and more people get vaccinated, we're seeing lower numbers. Um, and it, it's been working out really well. Thankfully, thankfully, we have not had a single case of a newborn transmission from mother at any of our Providence systems. And, and is it right now it's still one person only in the room? We never kicked out the, the fathers of the baby. We do think that childbirth is a family experience. And so mothers were never giving birth by themselves, even in the thick of the pandemic. Um, we have opened up a little bit more now. Now the father... Now, you can have two visitors, the father and an additional support person, and we also allow people to have a doula if they choose to as well, just an extra support person for labor and delivery. And, you know, I was I wonder if you could clear this up because I have a lot of a couple of friends that are trying to get pregnant right now and they're scared to get the vaccine because they think it's going to impact their fertility. Mm. Is there any truth to that or what can you share on that? There's absolutely no truth to that. Study after study after study has not shown a decrease in fertility for women who've received the COVID vaccine. I, I do see, you know, there was an article that said that women were having some menstrual irregularities after the vaccine. Mm -hmm. I have seen that in a few of my patients, and it probably is the body's response to what's a big shock to the immune system. We've never oh, seen this virus before. Um, but that usually settles in about a month or two and people go back to normal and long-term fertility rates have absolutely not been impacted at all. Is it the same for freezing your eggs and um, IVF and all of that same? You don't need to worry. Yeah, the, the infertility doctors are having people wait a month after the vaccine before going forward with the egg freezing process just out of okay. an abundance of caution. Right. Um, so that, that seems to be working out just fine. Okay, great. What if you're pregnant? I've heard from a couple people that they're not supposed to do it until the second trimester. Is there truth to that? Or what is the deal with pregnancy and vaccination? There are ongoing studies. I think Moderna just launched a big study of COVID in pregnant women. Um, but so far, the data that we have on Pfizer and Moderna show that it's safe for pregnant women to receive the vaccine. What's the biggest question that you get asked from patients? It could also be non-COVID related when they come to you. Um, a lot of my patients want to know uh, what is their fertility. They want to say, you know, they want to know, should I get pregnant now? How long do I have before I, it's too late for me to get pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm 37, right? So I'm, I would love to have a baby. Um, but right now with my lifestyle, it's kind of impossible at the moment. But mm -hmm. when is it too late, I guess? Well, that's that, that's the problem. We don't have a test yeah. to say you have six months or you have 12 months or you have right. three years. Um, egg quality does go down with age, starting a little bit at 30 and certainly taking off a little bit more at 35 and becoming rather difficult at 40. Yeah. Um, so based on age, we'd tell you if you're committed to having a child that's biologically your own, start taking steps to get ready. And would you recommend freezing your eggs or is there a time limit with that or... Freezing eggs is more successful the younger you are. So as right. soon as it's relatively feasible financially to, to do so, it would be a good idea. Now, if you're married, a better mm -hmm. idea rather than freezing eggs is to freeze embryos for two yeah. reasons. Number one, embryos, well, you have to have a partner to have embryos. Um, right. Eggs are really meant for, for single women who don't have a partner. Okay, so I am married, but good, yeah. okay, good so to know. Embryos are good because they do survive the freezing and thawing process a lot mm -hmm. better than eggs do. 
So that's the number one reason why we would recommend embryos for you. But number two, we can actually do genetic tests on those embryos before we freeze them to make sure that we're only implanting healthy embryos at the proper time. You can't do a genetic test on the egg because it's only one cell and you destroy the DNA when you test it. With an oh, embryo, you wait till they're about five or six cells big, you pluck out one of those cells, you can test it for things like Down syndrome um, mm -hmm. or other chromosome abnormalities and only freeze the eggs, uh, the embryos that are healthy. What are your thoughts on breast implant illness? It's very popular on social media right now where everybody is talking about all the harms and the side effects that it's creating in women. Do you believe in that? Is that, I mean, I, I, I read somebody else talk about it and then all of a sudden I have all the symptoms. So I'm not so familiar with that since I don't put in breast implants or take them out. Um, that would probably be a better question for a breast surgeon. I haven't had a lot of patients complain about breast implants illness to me at all. I think it would depend on what's in the implant. Saline should be very, very simple and benign, whereas silicone we know can cause some problems. I have a question about birth control and getting pregnant and freezing your embryos. What, how do you feel about birth control in general? If you need birth control, use birth control. Yes, right. There's no evidence to show that birth control, hormonal birth control, I'm assuming, yes. um, hormonal birth control will, will delay a return to fertility for more than about three months or so. It doesn't okay. stay in your system for years and years and years. On that note, I have a lot of patients who want to get pregnant in six to 12 months and they ask, should I stop the pill now? And my answer is, if you're not ready to get pregnant now, don't stop no. the pill now. Even if you've been taking it since, like, for 20 years, let's say, it doesn't matter the longevity, correct? It doesn't matter. It's out of your system in about 48 hours. Sometimes it does oh, wow. take your ovaries a little bit of time to wake up when they've been suppressed so long by birth control yeah. pills, but three months at the longest. Oh, good to know. So I used to suffer, like, I used to get chronic UTIs all the time, and I would go into my gyno, she'd test, you know, be like, you have a UTI, here's a prescription, and, and you'll be fine. And I got to a point where I was just like, I'm overtaking this medication. So I started exploring other options and I started, I learned about pelvic floor physical therapy, mm -hmm. started doing that. And I made some other changes in terms of like laundry detergent and, you know, things like that. And it night and day, I haven't had a UTI knock on wood in like eight months. And I was getting them every single month. And is, so when I started learning about this, um, they started telling me that pelvic floor physical therapy is good to do before you give birth too, because it just kind of, it's mm. like you, when you give birth, it's like you're running a marathon. You wouldn't just go run a marathon without training for it. Do you believe that right. there's some, is there some like validity to that? There is some validity to that. You know, you're right. Carrying a pregnancy and delivering a baby is a very taxing event in a woman's life. And the more we can prepare for it, the better we are, especially as mothers are waiting longer and longer to have children. And their bodies just aren't in the same shape as they were when they're 23, 24 years old. It is a good idea, both uh, during and after pregnancy, to uh, use a physical therapist. Yeah. yeah. I'm like laughing. I, maybe this is inappropriate, but as you guys are talking about it, do you guys all immediately start doing Kegels or is that just a mom thing? No, I was actually going to, Jane Fonda popped into my head for some reason. Jane Fonda and her like hip thrust. I have no idea. Why, like, why am I doing this right now? I'm all this crazy. Focus. Why That's am great. I needing to do I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, now that you say it, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> They've made it so much easier for us too. They have the devices that you can Bluetooth to your phone and they have little, yeah. they have games where you do your kegels and your bird flies over the mountain and doesn't crash into the mountain. Mm. And it's, it's great. <laughs> it's mixed, they make it it's so like easy now. Angry birds mixed with, yeah. yeah. Your kegel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I know you talked about the HPV shot, but what are early signs of cancer? Like what should individuals be looking out for? And also how do we talk to kids about the HPV shot? For my kids, I just tell them, hey, you need to take the shot, period. <laughs> um, Love we it. didn't really it's go into right. why. Yeah. I'm mom, you're the kid, you're getting yeah. it. You're doing um, it. <laughs> but yeah, it is a shot to prevent cancer. At the end of the day, it, if if you have the opportunity to do so, we really should. Um, signs of cancer really depends on the kind of cancer that we're dealing with. Um, cervical cancer, uterine cancer will usually have uh, irregular bleeding signs. Those are pretty easily detectable, especially if people are getting regular PAPs. 
and therefore they're very curable because we find them early. Um, the more insidious types of cancer are going to be the ovarian cancers because a lot of people don't have symptoms until it's very, very late, and those symptoms are very vague, abdominal fullness, abdominal pain, lower back pain, which we've all had at some point in our lives, and we don't all have ovarian cancer. Fortunately, that's a, it's a fairly rare cancer. The risk, lifetime risk of getting ovarian cancer is less than 2%. Um, and they're certainly working on early detection tests. Um, nothing has come to fruition so far, and it is something that scares my patients a lot. So bottom line is, if there's anything that seems concerning, reach out to your provider, get checked out. It may be nothing, but what's the harm in checking it right. out? But that's what yeah. scares me about the once every three years pap smear checkup. But I guess if it's abnormal, right, you would say something and we would just continue. With yeah, you're saying process. that would show up, show up on your pap smear? Yeah. Like I yeah. said, the HPV test has really changed the game for pap smear yeah. screening. Honestly, I am like the pap police because so I <laughs> no because I got HPV from my very first sexual partner. And it was traumatizing because at the time I was, I don't know how old I was, maybe 19 or 20. Um, nobody was talking about it. And so no, when my, yeah. when my gyno called and told me, I thought, I literally thought I was dying. Like I was, it was like really, really scary for me. And so I like did all my research and, you know, took it super seriously. By the time I graduated from college, almost all my sorority sisters had had it as well. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. We got but around. Like, <laughs> but of course. <laughs> no, that's a lot, it's a lot more common than you than you realize. No, it's like one in three, I think women. Oh, yeah. it's, about, it's actually about ninety percent. Oh. Wow. As, as a woman, women, how do you happen? know if you have, like, did you have any idea, Tanya, or were you just, you went no, to the doctor? No, I had a feeling sometimes. No, I had no, feel no feeling. I was just getting, like, my, I started going, getting um, checkups, like pap smears. I, when I turned 18, it was just something that my mom told me to do. I wasn't sexually active. And so, and then I did it right before I went to, away to college, and I, I wasn't expecting anything. Right. Like, I, it was so shocked. I felt dirty. I felt embarrassed I felt guilt I felt like all those things mm -hmm. and so I'm like I'm really happy that we have these conversations and that we do open like are opening the door to these because I think for me at the time I just felt really alone, embarrassed yeah. alone and embarrassed and like dirty and it's so it's just so common and yeah and I also had it just FYI so you don't feel alone yeah it was it, yeah. it was that it was that weird feeling like um I don't know who to talk to right because it's not like now it's different I think times have changed obviously yeah. Right. Yeah. So thanks for sharing. <laughs> but it's it's scary. And I think, um, you know, just incur. I know some friends of mine that don't ever go to the gyno because they're just scared or they don't want to know. And so I think it's important to kind of open the door and keep the conversation going of just mm -hmm. like it's good to check because you Absolutely. never know. Mm -hmm. And um, how often would you say like for what are the signs, I guess, for early cancer? I mean, you can't really feel it. You can't, you'd have to go in for your checkup. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what should, like, what should they be looking out for? Like, it should, it's not hereditary, is it? Some cancers are hereditary. So if you have okay. a family history of uterine cancer, breast cancer, yeah. ovarian cancer, bring it up with your provider because we can do a blood test to see if you carry one of the genes that would put you at high risk for these cancers. And yeah. it's a simple blood test. The, the, the amazing thing is as technology advances, we're coming up with new mutations that we find. So even though you may have had the test done 10 years ago, there's a slew of different genes that have now been identified that can also increase your risk for cancer. And looking for those is important for someone with a family history. But if someone has a strong family history of ovarian cancer, we do more frequent pelvic ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. If someone has a family history of breast cancer, we do more frequent mammograms, sometimes MRIs or ultrasounds as well of the breast. Well, Thank Dr. Nishio, so we know that you are uh, in the middle of delivering a baby, so <laughs> we will let you go do that. Thank you so much for taking the thank time you. to answer. Thank you so much. I appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 If she doesn't have a name for the baby, uh, <laughs> Tanya. <laughs> Tanya's been good for me. Tanya, Cheryl, uh, Teddy. Teddy. All three names yes, are totally. And then their last name. <laughs> right, 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 right. How awesome were those doctors? Special thank I, you to all the doctors over at Providence. You guys, yeah. so much information. I didn't even want that to end. I was about to be like, one last thing. When should I take my daughter to the gyno for the first time? Missed opportunity. And then I, and then I put myself in the 
girl who's giving birth and I was like, stop taking more time out of my doctor's schedule. I know. Honestly, like I could go, I'm that person though. Like whenever I get my pap smear, my annual pap smear, I ask my gyno like a million questions. Like the minute she sits down, it's like until she's out the door. Well, I've been going to the same one since I was 17. And so whenever I see him, I'm like, crack. he's like, it's like a therapy session. He's like, what are you up to? What's new? <laughs> like, <laughs> he knows everything about you. Mine just retired. So I need a good one. Any recommendations? Oh, Dr. Jiggle. Oh, well, I'm sure. I, need, I think I need a woman. <laughs> you yeah. need a woman? Yeah. Yeah. I have Dr. Nishio. Dr. Nishio. Yeah. Right, Dr. Yeah. Nishio. You're going to have to <laughs> quick little trip. Yeah, yeah, totally. Anyway. Uh, well, thank you so much to Providence for letting us have this conversation. I think it's obviously really yeah. important. Knowledge is power. And as women, we're all in this together. So thank you, Providence. Totally. Teddy, Cheryl, I love you guys. Love you too. Thank you thank guys you. for being here. I appreciate I'll it see so much. I'll see you soon, Teddy. I'll see you later. I know. I'll, I'll see you soon. Bye, guys. Yeah, bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Teddy Teapot on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how 320-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.